0: Hello and welcome to episode four of What Creativity. Today's guest is Sister Lois. Sister Lois not only talks about how imagination and creativity has impacted her life and how she utilizes it all throughout her life, she also shows us. She plays the piano, she sings, she talks about a play she's writing. She is a powerhouse of talent. This episode is a journey. She does talk about trauma that she has endured. However, she also does speak and share about how she overcame it through creativity. So I do want to caution people, it could be triggering at times. So please, without further ado, Sister Voice, Thank you, thank you.
1: But anyhow, I was telling you about school way, way back just because of the lifestyle I was living and the places I ended up being and some traumas that I ended up having to survive. Um, uh, In grade eight graduation, the dress that I wore to grade eight graduation was something I'd made. Hmm. So when we got to grade nine, which was considered high school, um, and home ec was about sewing, I'd done it already. Oh, wow.
2: Did your mom teach her or did you teach her? Yes, my mom was a seamstress
1: <laughs> and my grandma was a milliner. So, and my mom kind of ran a um, a cottage industry. I grew up in a house full of feathers and <laughs> rhinestones. And before age two, I had little holes from needles from doing hems and, oh, and no. buttonholes and all of that because the whole household sewed. So I couldn't be there eating and living and not contributing in some way. didn't <laughs> matter that I was that age. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it was just pick up the buttons and put them in a pile or get all these colored rhinestones together or whatever. Yeah. But you, you work. You, you didn't come into life thinking like these cats. Somebody going to take care of it for you. Um, I um, I want to, before we go any further, say hey and thank you to our mutual acquaintance, Tracy LaMaurie, oh, yeah. for arranging this. I know I'm not the easiest client because for years I've been a self-producer. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not the easiest client. I have to, like, learn to surrender and let go and let her make arrangements and let her support me and help me and guide me and, Oh, wow, letting go of the reins of something that you've like felt huh, 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 hovering, mother, uh, responsibility for yourself. Mm-hmm. And but I, I know as life goes on, trust and faith is not so much in the other people as so much in yourself. Mm-hmm. And I trust her on a whole heap of levels. And that's why I'm here with you today, Alicia.
2: Uh, I am very grateful yep. for that as well. And she had. Yep. She had like a bio for you and it was just such high praise.
1: Well, thank you. So I was telling you this little story about myself, how I came here because um, so then in grade nine um, and I had no interest then in mechanical things. I didn't know where I would end up later in life. But at that particular time, I had no interest and i had painted before my dad was a painter and all the homes we'd always lived in were like self-starter homes so i'd learned to do a lot of like basic how to build this and how to run that and make this thing livable so i didn't have an interest in those courses so i being at that time a much more of a self-starter or maybe equally <laughs> created something in a Manitoba, which is a province here in Canada, the um, the educational curriculum, something called ESP. I've always liked acronyms and ESP was an elementary school practicum oh. that I had an interest of working in an elementary school and I wanted to do it at the same hours of the day that this other um, extracurricular activity of HOMAC and blah, blah, blah. When that ran, can't I book my hours? And they said, if you can get some school to take, you go right ahead. Well, the school that had an interest in me was at that time, the sign said, Ellen Douglas School for the Crippled. Oh, wow. And I knew after my first two hours in this place, there was no one crippled here, but except the people in the office.
2: Oh. And
1: that these people were differently abled. And that was grade nine. Um, I've never left that kind of work. I've done a variety of other things, but I realize, in my heart of heart, I still approach everything in that same way of throwing away the label that's been given by society and opening myself up. When I was amongst these people, a variety of ages that they squeeze together in these institutionalized buildings, um... I uncovered things about myself I didn't know I could do, fears I thought but that were fears. I had courage because I was helping someone else.
0: Mm.
1: That's a big message that has stood out to me my whole life. You overcome your own fears when you're supporting someone else in something. Yeah. Um, and I've always, I've just kept doing that work. Now, by the time I graduated grade uh, 12 now, which was like 78, 79, Um, there was no such thing in Canada uh, as music or art therapist. And I shopped around and I found two schools that were willing to take me and one of them was the University of Michigan. They didn't exactly have it, but they were doing um, a basic a uh, music education course with a sideline, a minor in elementary ed that included human development and sociology and psychology and blah, blah, blah. And so you could make yourself into what you wanted to be by having had all the courses.
2: Right, right.
1: And that's me. So by the time I came back to Canada, now in like 85, they still hadn't even implemented the course, the one course that's at Sir Wilfrid Laurier for music and art therapists in Canada. Mm-hmm. and But I was already doing the work. I'd been doing it since grade nine, right? Yeah.
2: It sounds um, like you have a natural
1: healing. Uh, well, I do a lot of things, but that was that moment in time in my life. That's where I needed to be. Um, racism is a hard thing. Mm-hmm. And regardless of the education that I had, getting regular work, with my skills on the prairies was a real challenge. Um, so much so that I left the field and went back to school to study grade 10 mathematics and grade 11 mathematics and figure out about the cotangent of this and that that I'd had no interest in when I was in school before and became a tool and die machinist and then went on to become a heavy duty diesel equipment mechanic
2: my goodness that is a change
1: yeah just uh don't people just machines um working with uh well i worked for the department of national defense here before we became we copied you guys and became a dod as well um but yeah um at one time i used to be able to claim to fame that the three tanks that canada owns i've worked on all of them oh (laughs) <laughs> it seemed like a joke, you know, that I didn't know many girls who'd done that. And certainly no older women. Yeah. And I think even though it was a joke then, it's probably still a reality to this day. Which wow. is that. Um and there's a lot of things I've done in life. Um after that, I did several things with big machinery, things that I was very proud of. Um but Whoa. When you're in areas where men run things, they're not happy with you there. So eventually, I had to leave that to save myself.
2: Oh yeah, so it was the environment again that that encouraged you to leave. But when you were working with big machines, how did you? Because it sounds like you enjoyed it.
1: Oh, I love it. I I I still miss it. It was a skill. It was one of my gifts. Okay, I want to tell you something. Um, I didn't take performance at all when I was doing music education. Mm-hmm. I only took education, and the university was very big on performance. But I'd been performing since I was a wee little thing, and I thought, well, that's a little redundant for me to take performance courses. Oh, yeah. Um, so I was interested in conducting choirs because I think I did my first choir when I was about 13, conducting people that oh. were four times my age and uh, just running the organization uh, harmonically and arrangement wise. And um, I found when I went to work with engines, because I mean, I yes, I did a lot of things along the way with my tool and die work, as with a mill and a lathe and all that, and did like stuff like in the eighties. I know for a fact when I worked. At the Health Sciences Centre in Manitoba, their occupational therapy, we were some of the first people making, inventing the tools that made it possible for amputees to have hand controls to drive. We were like the experiments. There was no blueprint for that, right? So I got to use my creative side as well as my, you understand? So even though I've always... um, so i was still working with the developmentally challenge, but from a different angle. You understand? Yeah, that's, uh, I've never really left the work. I've so never cool. left it. It is my labor of love. I've never left it. Um, excuse me. Sure. Um, I tear up easily. Oh. Yeah. I, I I don't apologize for it anymore. That's, um, that's
0: great.
1: Life is full of emotions, and sometimes I just need to clear my path. Please excuse me as I clear my septum. <laughs> Oh, there you go. Ha, huh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Let me rinse my fingers before I go back to these carrots. Anybody eating this doesn't need, but it's only allergies anyway. <laughs> allergies and sadness. It's not like I have anything, but you know. No, I hope the- so Yeah, sorry, where were community. you? You were asking
2: me something else, weren't you? Um. I was just asking, well, there were two things that seems like the environment uh, was kind of like a catalyst for you to move on to a next thing, even though at always. the same time you're saying there's still always. kind of this focal point on helping others no matter what you're doing.
1: Um, this is the career I'm in now. I'm an actor, mainly, performance artist, mainly. And I would say it's my fifth career. But the truth of the matter, it is what I've always been doing. You understand? It's a fifth career because of the way the world likes to label and line you up and say, oh, you belong in this lane and that's your box and blah, blah, blah. But anyone who pays attention to the fact that life is about transferring skills, they know when they're doing what they've always done.
2: Yeah.
1: You know when you're doing what you've always done. You know, music therapy for me. I want to tell you my most exciting time and why it is I keep doing this work. Once soon after I had left the railway broken to dust, just a broken spirit, an opportunity was given to me to come back into the field to work with physically challenged adults. Hmm. And I started a program, it was called Slack. (laughs) And people laugh, why did you name your program Slack? It's like I didn't have a form or a fashion, and I just wanted it to be slack. Plus, my name is Sister Lois, so oh. that's the SL taken care of. And I thought adventure and creative, and yeah, they're little capers. Okay, Sister Lois's adventurous, creative capers. Slack, oh. boom. That's the name of this program. Right. Uh, right. I I re ran that program years later um, in Australia. With seniors, I think the youngest one in the class was like 72, I called it slick then. I got (laughs) rid of the adventure and just called it Sister Lois's Creative Capers, right? (laughs) So, I mean, you have to take what you have. It can be slick or it can be slack, but it's what you do. And you've taken the same material, the same songs, the same needs, because humans at all ages have the same needs, same desires to be heard, to be validated. Um, I'm a survivor of some pretty heinous things. It's not just, oh, she walks in dark skin. Um, Like that isn't tough enough in this world. But I've kind of learned to rise above that. But the system didn't want me to get through with just that. They decided they'd dump other stuff on my head by Mm -hmm. sending, you know, people to diddle me when I was a baby and other people to, to touch and molest me when I was uh, 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 mid-teen and then when I was older until the last job on the railway, the main reason I left there was just daily, moment-to-moment sexual harassment that there was no sense in telling the bosses because when the boss got you in the office, all he did was pull the blinds and try to see what he could get. My
2: goodness.
1: So, um, And then, yeah, added to that, there was the insult of, of how... They acted like they didn't do anything and that what's my problem. But I know that there weren't good things there. But um, let's just say there were nine women when we started in, what year was it, 1988? And when I left a decade later, I was the only one on my shift. And the other three who had stayed in the program, one of them had married a supervisor, another had married and, well, at least was shacking up with a supervisor, and the third had had a cousin in another department and had transferred out of there. Huh. All right. And why did I stay? Because I was the sole support parent of, at that time, a 12 year old. And, you know, you need dental care and glasses and the, the whole thing and you come to understand why women stay in abusive relationships because like, yes, it's it's a job, but they have a lot of power and you know, you're trying you try to do to your survive. work and rise above it, but it's not easy. It's horrible and insidious. And so the work I do now is to write about those things to make art out of the nasty. One of the most horrible things they did to me on the railway, I was trying to work my way through all of the nasty with song. I would just, oh, yeah. you know, walk through singing just to keep myself, that was my dance as I, I tried to dodge and dart the hands or the stairs. <laughs> and then to add insult to injury, they made rules after calling me to two or three safety meetings that I couldn't sing while I worked anymore. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, they said I was a distraction and that when I sang No One Else Work, people came and gathered around my engine. I'm like, well, I don't know they're there. I'm like underground doing my stuff, truing wheels or whatever. I don't even know they're up there. So how am I responsible? Why am I to blame? I'm like, at that time, I didn't have any recollection about the child abuse. That came on the railway after the things that happened.
2: How did you rise above all that? I, I kept I'm, going to
1: work. I had no choice.
2: I mean, it sounds like they're trying to take the I mean, to take the singing away. It's like trying to take your spirit away all the time. Mm.
1: But you know what happened to me? Mm. You see, I, 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 I read and as I say, I talk to old people. I know that my ancestors survived by making something out of nothing. Mm. Oh, I worked with engines engine started to talk to me camshaft said to me hang on in there girl and tie up a rope hang on in there girl and tie up a rope hang on in there girl and tie up a rope (laughs) and then the connecting rods that were pushing the pistons up would be saying when you wake up it'll be all right When you wake up, it'll be all right. And then the camshaft that was lifting the tappets were saying, Be all right. When you wake up, it'll be all right. Be all right. And, you know, I found myself writing things like, Why should I worry? Why should I fret? Why take my time out to even pace when there's so much I should do and most certainly would do if I could erase the memory of that? Well, after a while, they all blend into one face. But hey, I still got me some music. Yeah, I'm writing lyrics of hope and a message of love keeps coming through strong and it's saying hey sister hang on in there girl do whatever it takes band your belly tie a rope up it won't be long it'll be all right when your morning comes and the machines gave me music i stayed at the railway in pain for I think the stuff started being pushed up against the door and having my boobs started like probably the second day. I was there a decade, but I left with about 60 really good songs that I call my engine room songs that I've sung everywhere all over the world. People don't know that that's what they are. That's the thing is I've never marketed them. I've only thanked them to get out of pain. And you see, I'm moving funny now because it brought pain singing the song. And that's why I sing. It's part of the therapy, but it hurts like crazy too, because it brings stuff back. And I say to Tracy, um, me not having the kind of career that you think I ought to have. And she said, I don't think you ought to have anything. I just think you're so good. Why haven't you like gone further? I said, listen, I had an auntie that said to me once, I'm not going to ask you to sing with me. And I said, why? All my aunties asked me to sing with them. She said, no, because I'm intelligent and you have a million dollar voice. You need to make money with that voice. Don't waste it with me. I was like, oh, auntie, that's a lovely thing to say, but I don't consider it singing with you a waste. I consider singing with you a connection to my history. On my dad's side of the family, I had nine aunties. And the last one just passed in November, the 13th of the 13th. Oh, I'm so with that sorry. That family. So um, I find myself, you know what I mean? Everything is interconnected. That My spirit of song is connected to that piece of me. Um, I'm walking up and down because I'm trying to move this pain, right? You see me yeah. pacing?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I'm getting a hot sweat and the whole works. Yeah. That's the thing. I used to fall off the stage. I'd perform for 90 minutes and people wouldn't know that I would fall off the stage.
2: Because of the toll it, or because of the memories that came up
1: while you are Well, singing, the or? memory thing is part of it, but I've also been living with, oh gosh, in the early 80s, they thought it was Epstein-Barr. Oh. And then in the mid 80s, they thought it was chronic fatigue. Mm-hmm. But by 87, they called it a name called fibromyalgia. Oh my. which at the time I thought just sounded like a catch-all because they didn't have a clue and let's just call it that but I've come over after that to find so many people who suffer with this thing and I've done all the changes I could do I no longer eat white flour or white potatoes or drink milk or you know if I eat flesh it's very lean fish. Uh, sure. I've changed everything I could possibly change in my life to heal myself and uh, eat free radicals. My breakfast was a blueberry spinach uh, shake. You know what I mean? I'm doing all the right things. But the emotional parts, the feel parts, you can only uh, do so much physical stuff. And this is where I talk about life being a combination of the spiritual and the physical. And so there are things on this material plane that hurt my body, but there are things on the spiritual plane that bring me so much joy, they take the pain away. Mm -hmm. You understand um and that's where song and dance and those things come in and why it is I end up doing theater at this point in my life because it's become the one place I can do all of those things and you know sometimes in theater it may not call for it but if my body aches I can make that role have to lay down on the ground and split its leg and do something like a ballet dancer that other people are thinking that's so unique what she let that cat do, but it's really me getting rid of pain. Mm. And a lot of my life I realize has been me getting rid of pain. Maybe even the stuff with the young people when I was in grade eight was me getting rid of pain. Grade nine. I mean, who knows? Everything is about something, right? Yeah. There's reasons for everything. But um, Yeah.
2: But that's a good point about the theater too. It allows you to to kind of combine all of the arts, the music, the movement.
1: That's the beauty of it, and that's visuals. I think why after everything I've been through, it's my fallback position. You know, I all also think, whoa, I wonder what, what might what might have been, what could have been had I started this stuff when I started on stage. Don't forget, they put me on stage and. Before I was two, I was out there, in the name of Jesus, telling oh. people the story and telling them about I am a city that is set in a hill, a city that is hid on a hill cannot be hid. He are the light of the world, and singing songs like "Make Me a Blessing," "Make Me a Blessing." You know what? When you study a lot of the well-known uh, singers like Jesse Norman, who recently passed, you know, it was one of the first songs that she was taught to sing. Mm-hmm. It was one of the first songs Le- Leo Teen Price was taught to sing because we were all brought up in church. Oh. When I listened to uh, um, Little Richard talk about his life, it was one of the first songs he was taught to sing. And I was thinking about it from an emotional place, how it really set me up for like just allowing adults to have too much rain over my life and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, my God. So I wonder about those people, what might have happened to them and they didn't tell. Am I suffering because I told? Because they always promise you that if you tell, you're in trouble, right? right? But I'm still telling. My whole life has been about telling. Um, even if it's just like some casual song, um, it's about telling, you know.
2: Yeah, you can no, I do in. notice
1: I, I I change characters. Sorry to cut you, sorry. Oh no. I don't think I have a split personality, but you do shatter a little bit during child abuse. One of the things that happens. And so all the different personas that my body hit into really get a chance to explore those in acting. You know, I don't know that that's what I'm doing until the thing's over, like a week after the show, if I've been cast or something. I'm I say over the lines in my mind, and I start laughing, and I go, "Holy shit, that's my life! I wasn't acting; I was channeling." Woo, you know. But at the time when I went for the audition to do the thing, it seemed like a whole new, unique, and different thing. Right. But it's made me realize that life is just a repeat of the same decimal point in different situations. Right. Yeah. The stuff I experienced. Different facet. Yeah. But it's just one thing. And, um, and why it is, it's a good thing. I had regardless of the stuff that's happened to me and so much has that I haven't even gone into, you know, it's not just men, it's women who have swallowed and drank the Kool-Aid who try to squeeze you into why didn't you get married and why didn't you this and how come you don't housekeep like I housekeep and all those little things, you know, the world is full of things to try and squeeze you into the way they think you ought to be, Mm -hmm. you know. I'm going to turn my phone around and you're going to see that those things mean nothing to me. Look behind me is my piano. I spend most of my time at my piano, writing or penning. I have a lot of art and drums. Uh, If you look higher up, um, oh, there's a picture of uh, John Lennon right beside a picture of Bob Marley. Um, you know, very nice. Um, yeah. there's a lot of African art this side, because I'm acting and auditioning behind that is a bunch of books, but I've had to cover it with white sheets because when you're auditioning, you need a blank background. Oh, right. So, and I had to do that, um, But the only other task I'm involved in right now is records, 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 records. I have my record player I'm going through and sorting. I have two and three of things. And because you live in different places in your life, and you lose things and you try to replace them and then you find your old stuff again. And you're like, Oh, okay. It's not lost. It's, you know what I mean?
2: Yep. It'll show up when it needs to.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And so I'm like, Oh, I have three of these. So this has been a time for me of giving records to people who are into vinyl and the world's changing. People are coming back to VHS and all of these things that for a while I was feeling kind of, kind of old school but COVID has forced a lot of people to change a lot of things and all the old school things that the habits that our grandparents taught us like don't sit on your bed in the shoes you wore on the street and take those pants off don't you go on my couch after sitting on public transit in those pants you know mm-hmm. COVID had taught us that those things were important They used to make us wash our hands and our face as soon as we got in the house. Right. Um, So it's been, it's been a really good lesson in a lot of ways. Uh, It's sad that people are dying, but for people who had already changed and are are stuck with the old ways, it kind of affirms you in, in ways too. You kind of feel like, Oh, old school's got some points here
0: (laughs) there's some
2: wisdom there yay for the old
1: wives and their tails (laughs) come on old wives wag your tails honey (laughs) because all that stuff is like real yeah you know i'm curious
2: um about the different ways because you you seem to naturally express yourself uh in all types of ways and then you took it to a career level Do you feel like um, there's something... Because I kind of see dancing access as something within you that's different than visual arts, that's different from
1: when you sing or play music. I do Uh, do visual arts, you know. I just don't have anything out here right now. I do some sculpting. I do some watercolor and sketching. Again, it's spiritually driven. Oh, yeah. Um. I've already made the poster for the show I plan to have.
2: Oh, your play?
1: Yeah, like I painted the poster already. Oh, nice. I don't know <laughs> when it's coming in life, but when the time comes, I've already painted the poster. So I know. It, it sounds
2: like you have a vision first, at least for this play.
1: And then. Well, you know, this play I realize is a culmination of the life. Mm-hmm. All the different little projects, all the different experiences. Um, and my most loved thing, talking to old people. So I'm like, I meet a lot of people that are my son's age and younger who, um, they're not wanting to read a book, but they'll sit and talk to an old person. And I had the blessing uh, because someone insightful started a program in the Toronto Public Library called The Human Book. That a couple of times I was engaged to be just that, a human book, and to sit in the library and another, a regular human in the city would come and take me out and ask me questions about myself, much as you're doing right now. And that experience really kind of made me feel like people seem starved for just regular conversation with an elder.
2: I bet they are.
1: Yeah, so I was like, you know, maybe that's what your play will be. Your play will be interactive. It'll be a little bit like daycare for adults. They'll get to be part of the story. You'll bring your rocking chair and you'll be their grandma and it's um I, I don't even have it started yet but the business is called one black mama productions i have everything in thought i just have to do the business right. but the art part i'm writing the songs the songs have been written i'm getting better at having them under my finger i i found that the songs that were written at different oh this is another thing different metal has different tones so as a art therapist you'll like to hear this so when i was working um with the 710 engines down at uh, Go, mostly all of those songs are written in F or F sharp. Oh. When I was working at Mac Yard on the 645s, whatever it is, maybe the number of cylinders or the length of the stroke, uh, everything in that place is in G or mm-hmm. in A flat. That's per-
0: that's or G so sharp is
1: A flat, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Uh, um, and there are a few songs that when I was working on Head and Power that were given to me, and I find they're almost all in the minors. They are, you know, E minor, G minor, those kind of A minor sounds. And I think, it, again, the size of the engine, the kind of cast iron, the kind of metal. And um, later on in life, strangely enough, when I was... Uh, traveling in Australia, I got to fall in love with Steel Pan and I was born in Trinidad where Steel Pan was born and never had any interest, hung around people liked the sounds of Calypso and mass and whatnot. but thought I liked reggae more than I did Calypso. That's what I thought at the time and then got to fall in love with the sounds of steel and realized, oh, my goodness all that stuff I was hearing on the engines, it's the exact same thing that you hear in those pans. Oh, no way. (laughs) So I was really connecting to my birth aisle spiritually without even knowing that I was. Hmm. But it took me having, having to live all of these journeys and go to all of these places to come to the culmination of, oh, wow. There are no mistakes, there are no, yes, you have had sad experiences, but if you didn't fall here, you wouldn't have been on your face to notice how beautiful that blade of grass was. So, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Yes. So the music for me, the engine songs were really my way to make beauty out of the nasty. And when I look at it and the art and the work I do, it really still is that. I'm still trying to make beauty out of the nasty. And, you know, I think think it's it's possible powerful
2: too, but also one of my, uh, I don't even want to say hopes, but what I I can see the world because you're talking, you talked a lot about your own trauma and Mm -hmm. I've worked with a lot of people with trauma. And I think the whole, I think the fact that I see a lot of people disconnected from their creative side, from their spiritual side. And I think that's part of the world being traumatized without even knowing. oh it's part
1: of the malaise for sure
2: um but I'm I kind of visualize the world once we face this trauma and process it and heal it like you're saying through the arts through moving through talking about it, expressing it acknowledging it that we'll get to a place where we can use the arts again just not for pain but just to move and express ourselves naturally. <laughs> oh,
1: that's interesting that you say that. Um, I use cannabis. I'm going to uh-huh. light up a spliff right now. And a lot of people for years fought for legalization of recreational. But I always was fighting for decriminalization because I didn't believe there was any such thing as Recreational. Oh. I thought we all have something, something, whether we want to call it trauma or what, you can't put your finger on it, but you are not using cannabis for any other reason but to connect your dots. Yeah. The benefit of cannabis is it does help rewire you, but music helps rewire you too. Yeah. So I spend a lot of time at my piano. I want to tell you that uh, though I play and sing, I never really had official piano lessons. I taught myself. I taught myself through hell um, in a racist environment with an older friend. She was in grade nine or when I was in grade two. She used to teach piano during recess and, and lunchtime. And I used to lay on my belly in the stage in the opera in the auditorium and look under the, you know, how they have the big curtain for plays?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I look under there, that little crack, and over the edge of the, the stage. And so I would see backwards, the piano that's against the back of the stage, the hands and the fingers of the people that were being given the piano lesson. And it wasn't until I was about, 14 going on 15 that we finally got a piano in the house and I had to learn to translate all that stuff I'd been watching upside down (laughs) and say, you know, I can do it, I can do it. And I had to keep it in my mind because I used to cry about it, come home and say about how I got in trouble at school. And my dad said, you don't have to tell me you got in trouble at school, they already called me or they already wrote a letter or whatever um, that you didn't go out for recess and you're not listening and blah, blah, blah. And I said, it's not about the cold. I like outside, it's not about the cold, but that's the time that they teach the lessons. And the guy doesn't want me to see the lessons. Well, years later, and that woman who I say is still my friend, she's like 60 something now, I can't remember, much older, but still a good friend, um, um, often reminds me that you were getting shit through that way, but they were calling my parents too. And I was being called into the office and told how I was betraying my race by helping you.
2: My gosh. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: That, that, you know, they didn't use the N-word, but they had the behavior that she had no right to be doing that, to be helping me with that. Um, she was ruining things for herself and cutting out opportunities. And she said, but she's so smart. She understands a lot of it already. And they said, it doesn't matter. That's the real reason. She gets it, let her figure it out on her own. You don't have to help her, uh, which was really mean.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and so I think you know those are a lot of the reasons why there's a lot of stuff I'm still not really good at on the piano but there's a lot of other stuff I am pretty good at because I taught myself. And you know the greatest Canadian piano player in my estimation is a brother named Oscar Peterson, the late great Oscar Peterson. And Oscar Peterson wrote this penned this beautiful song.
0: When every hand Joins every other hand and together we mold our destiny.
1: That when we'll be free, when every
0: heart
1: joins every other heart, and together. Great and I don't have all the fancy things that Oscar Peterson himself had. But you know, I have heart.
2: Yes, you heart do. Heart goes a long way. To the like to the
1: thousandth degree. <laughs> <laughs> and my mama used to say, that's how you rise above it. What is heart but spirit? Yeah. That's- if the material world can't handle you on the material plane, rising above it is living in the spirit of it. And I make mistakes. That wasn't a very perfect performance or sharing, but it wasn't about the perfection of it. It was my whole heart. I'm not uh, the greatest cook, but I make dynamite food because I put my whole heart into it.
2: I love that. Yes, because people can tell when your heart's in it or not. It can well, be t-
1: it's good that people can tell, but that ain't the reason. I said something once on stage that people thought was some arrogant shit. This is what I said. <laughs> You don't realize for every note I sing, for every dance I dance, every word that comes out of me, I'm really in deep communication with my ancestors who have gone before and those I don't know who are to come. Mm. It's one long red thread of a dance of communication, whether it's our joy or our pain, our sadness, or elation, it doesn't matter, it's one long thing of feelings. We're all feeling. And I got to this, you know, you synthesize things through your life. When I was very younger, my mom and I used to have debates about whether I should be singing Handel or whether it was okay for me to sing Hendrix. And, you know, and I was like, it's secular and sacred or ridiculous words. Who created music? There's only one creator of music. There's only one vibe. The vibe is the feelings. The god of feelings. The goddess of feelings made music. Right. Yeah. And uh, when people talk about um, Roy Adams, or is it Roy Woods, the, the 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 comedian who said, "Black people don't have to talk about their feelings. They created the blues. We got a whole genre of music telling you how we feel." <laughs> And I'd be like, you know, if people just <laughs> listen to the lyrics, they know how people feel. <laughs> you don't have to have these feasibility studies and all these things. People have been telling you forever
0: yeah. how I feel.
1: So they, whole thought, life.
2: they thought you talking about your ancestors was arrogant
1: that you were speaking through. Well, well because yeah, they did. Because I said to them, um, I am telling you what I meant. That's not the words I said. Oh, okay. I said, said, please stop clapping. We only have so much time together. And I'm really not even talking to you. You're just lucky to be in the same room as me and my peoples. (laughs) That's what I said. You're just lucky to be in the same room as me and my peoples. Which is the reality.
2: Yeah. (laughs)
1: It is the reality, but people don't like to hear reality. And so I have to learn to humble and say it in the language that the world wants. But yet I know that metaphysical is higher. That what true inspiration is, is to use the intellectual, to use your whiz-wise and your foolishness, that child eye And it's not to be foolhardy. It's to be childlike and somewhat naive and innocent in your openness to it. Um, and people call me naive all the time. They say, oh, sister, you're always bumping your head. you I was meeting up with the wrong people. Stuff happens to you. I'm like, yeah, but I have adventures. What have you done?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm like, you know, I go out and do things. Right. Yes, I do bump my head. But I learned stuff.
2: Well, right? I've got, um, I'm i, I I'm, I'm sad that I have to say that we're running out of time.
1: <laughs> Did I, I even this. have a trajectory? I just yada, 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 yada. You no,
2: know, I but, love it. You, I mean, you showed us what creativity is pretty much. But I have four questions I like to ask everyone, if you do. don't mind. Um, and I
1: have one for you at the end.
2: Sure. What, okay. to, to you, what is creativity?
1: Whoa. Oh, hey, remember, you talked about fear.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We have two hemispheres. And one of them is the things we learned on this plane after we took our first breath in this body. And that's those things like breathing, but also eating with a fork and going to the bathroom and wiping your ass yourself and the ABCs and your timetables and those things. And then there's the things that all of our ancestors knew because they've lived them. Mm -hmm. And then there are the things that the coming ancestors know that we've yet to live. They live in another section. Mm -hmm. And that section, in order to get to it, you really have to cross through all of those feelings. And those feelings are full of fear. Mm -hmm. They're full of, no, you can't. Oh, no, you're black. Oh, no, you're fat. No, you're a woman. No, you're you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And never mind the things they've told you, the things you think you see when you look in the mirror. Oh, God, your nose is so big. Your lips are so thick. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you know, we, we give ourselves, we build up and pile on the bullshit that the world's already piling on. Right. Yeah. We help to exacerbate the situation. And so we need to crawl through that. Yeah, um, this is a generation that says things like, oh, I hurt my finger that day. I don't even want to remember that day because I hurt my finger that day. I don't want to remember that day. And I'm like, no, honey, you need to remember that day. You need to remember how you hurt your finger so you don't do that shit again. (laughs) (laughs) And and so one of my biggest challenges is the paradigm that seems so uh, connected to how we're raising our youth is really disconnected. So when you said the word spoiled, my cat's ain't spoiled. Today's youth are spoiled. The idea that you can forget about a painful day and just throw it away. Yeah. It's hypocritical and it's ridiculous. Especially uh, when we have nations like the Japanese who have to have two days to remember the annihilation of Nagasaki and you know, uh, not when we still, the, the slogan for the, the 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 Holocaust is never forget. <laughs> uh, we as elders have been remembering, been remembering. The only people they tell to forget is really brown skinned people because no one wants to remember the mahafa No one wants to remember how we got here. So they'd like us to forget mm-hmm. because, you know, there's guilt, there's shame, and I'm still living off the avails of having prostituted you for how many generations but that's another long story you know what i'm saying Uh, and so i think even a lot of the isms that go on now is to keep those things in play by pretending we're fixing so we have the sheen and the look of doing and the talk of doing but no actual doing like back in the school where they let the little black kids come to the little private school and they had the sheen of good doing but That girl, the one girl who thought it was good to let me see the piano, still, as an adult, I think she still feels within her community the ostracization of having betrayed her race back then. And that she's still friend with the, that girl. Hmm. Because as much as we say we've gone past it, we haven't. You know? So that was a big answer to a small question. But you see where creativity is? Creativity is turning, tuning into those things we we think we imagine, but we don't imagine. Our ancestors lived them, it's how they survived. And the ancestors to come will need these tools to survive. So that's what creativity is. The song is how we are going to survive. The dance is how we're going to survive. The lyrics and the poem is how we're going to survive. It's the next thing. And so the art now, when I say I'm going to theater, theater is a culmination of all those arts. That's where you could really go to your high place. And they call it high art but it's really cerebral, that's why it's high. It's cerebral, and but it's a place that everything connects. You bring the dance, you bring the words, you bring the music, you bring the song, and you bring the storytelling that is part of all of that together in one place. That's theater, and we do it in the dark. Why? Because it's not school. We don't want to educate you. We want to show you stuff. You decide how you feel when you leave, when you go home four days later, five days later. You decide how you feel. You oh, we work. convey a story. The work is your job.
2: Yeah.
1: And this is also a generation where too much, you know, fast food, everything. Everything fed to you? No, 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 no. Theater should not feed you. Sherry should not like blah, 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 vomit out all the information. No, go home and sit there and some stuff. <laughs> and I think that's even how I write songs and and write poems, you know? Yeah, go home and figure out some stuff. And I've been blessed. I find myself to be very approachable. Uh-huh. Uh, young people come to me and older people come to me. And sometimes people in sad situations can't come to me. So they write me little notes on a napkin and say, you know, I can't really talk to you here, but you resonate with me. Um, you know, um, whatever. And those things, I treasure those things. You don't know how I treasure those things. Yeah. Um, not the actual piece of paper, because I find I lose things, but just the experience of it having happened. And it feeds my creativity. So when you ask what is creativity, it's something that you have in your mind, that's your ancestral right and privilege, and it's there. But what gives you um, impetus is often external. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yes.
2: What in the next, so I'll, I'll say the next two together. What do you love and what do you hate about creativity?
1: Well, right now, I love that I can say all I feel. Uh, I hate that I have to temper all I feel in, in respectability and acceptability and all of these things. And that anytime you go outside of the boundaries you get blamed because the rest of the world doesn't have any behavior
2: um the very last question and thank you is where where is your creativity
1: ah everywhere i talked about sculpting i took a course and i'd done sculpting before with a teacher and with some children and with some other adults. But I took a course at the Gardner Museum a couple of years ago called, We Believe Survivors. And it was a course for survivors and they wanted them to work their stuff out in clay and whatnot. Hmm. And I couldn't use my hands not for nothing. Hmm. I could not use my hands. That That was a time I couldn't brush my teeth or wipe my ass or anything. My arms were just gone. And I started sculpting with my feet. Oh. And some of the most beautiful, most delicate, most beautiful and telling and timely and on point things I created. I created with my feet. I didn't know my feet could do that. And it was created with me thinking because it was a healing expedition. I said, if I'm here and I can't use my hands, I have to think about what's been done to me with feet. How many times I was kicked kicked in my mouth, my eyes, all of those things. Um, Use those feet movements, use those kicks to make some art. And I used every nasty stomp, squash, toe gouge and I made some beautiful stuff. And so I really realized again that creativity is in the healing and the healing is the creativity but to not limit yourself because you think you're a singer to song.
0: Thank you so much for listening to Sister Lois. You can find her on YouTube at Sister Lois S-I-S-T-A-H-L-O-I-S. There's another one on YouTube called Sister S-I-S. T-A-H-N-U-V-I-Z-H-A-N and then Sista Omni Love Diva which is S-I-S-T-A-H-O-M-N-I-L-O-V-E-D-I-V-A and they're all on YouTube and they're her Engine Room songs. And I really hope you loved that episode as much as I do. I think I will always cherish that interaction in that conversation I had with a beautiful soul thank you thank you thank you have a great day